This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919-1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. They, on occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. Now, I'm Nicola Talent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World, wherever you get your podcasts. Listen and follow the Left Wing Rugby podcast with me, Will Slattery and Luke Fitzgerald. As far as I can see, I always want to get in the Irish team. And that should be every young player's dream and ambition in this country. And if you're playing in a place where you're not going to get the opportunities in the big games, that they're the ones that get you picked. They are the ones, the Champions Cup games are the ones that get you picked. You need to be playing in a team and starting in a team for those games. It's as simple as that if you want to play in the Irish team. Every week on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This is an Irish independent podcast. Today on the Indo Daily, disgraced banker David Drum, his sister in law, and the two million euro debt. You know, repossession cases rarely make the headlines anymore, even if a multi-million euro debt is involved. But last week, one really piqued our interest because the name of disgraced banker David Drum was somehow associated. The judge gave the woman at the centre of this case, Rachel Drum, six months to find alternative accommodation for herself and her children. She's the widow of the late Ken Drum, brother of former Anglo boss David Drum. Now, in a legal filing... Rachel painted a picture of a husband who exercised a domineering influence over her and that she was unaware he wasn't paying the mortgage after they split. But where does David Drum come into all of this? A curious aspect of all of this is that David Drum's name appears on the mortgage and this was something she didn't know. I'm Siobhan McGuire and to find out more, I'm joined by legal affairs editor Shane Phelan. Shane, a repossession case with over two million in debts on a house worth a third of that value wasn't likely to make the headlines, really. However, there are some key names involved, which has made it all the more interesting. Who are they? Yeah, so this case involves Rachel Drum. She's a sister-in-law of uh, David Drum, uh, the former Anglo-Irish Bank uh, chief executive and uh, I suppose one of the the most notorious white-collar criminals uh, in the history of the Irish state. And of course, many of us will remember the name David Drum from the Anglo tapes, which were published exclusively by the Irish Independent in June 2013. And, you know, at the time they caused massive outrage across the country and in Europe. And uh, David Drum, of course, convicted in 2018, uh, jailed for a role in a 7.2 billion fraud, served a total of three years in jail, is out and about again, a free man, uh, because, as I say, he has served his time. But his name will always pique our interest, won't it? Yeah, I mean, look, David Drum was was, was kind of a fascinating character, really. He, he uh, I won't say he sprang out of nowhere, but there was... Um, surprise when he uh, you know at, uh, 
at a relatively young age of 39, uh, succeeded Sean Fitzpatrick as, as chief executive uh, at Anglo-Irish Bank. Um, he, he was someone who, I suppose, rose from humble beginnings, and he went on to become uh, probably Ireland's best-paid banker, I think, in the year up to the end of September uh, 2007. Uh, I've seen figures uh, for what he was paid of about 3.2 million euros. And um, he was bold, he was brash. He said that, you know, I'm going to double this bank's profits within five years. And he actually achieved that target within two. At the height of his career, David Drum was viewed as Ireland's most successful banker. When he was chief executive, Anglo's profits doubled over two years. It became Europe's fastest growing bank. Anglo became this beast of uh, lending, particularly uh, to the property speculators and developers. And it, it, it all came crashing down in the 2007, 2008, 2009 period where we had this global economic crash. The bank um, was horribly exposed when uh, you know uh, uh, property prices, land prices uh, plummeted. Uh, its share prices plummeted. You had all this intrigue with Sean Quinn, the uh, then Ireland's richest man, having built up a secret stake in the bank nobody knew about. Left the bank horribly exposed, and also there was a there was a, a, a loan scandal involving uh, the the chairman at the time, Sean Fitzpatrick, uh, and David Drum ended up quitting around that time as well at the end of of, of two thousand and eight. But that wasn't the end of it. Um, he uh, he left Ireland uh, soon after, went to the States where he'd previously worked for the bank. And uh, you end up with uh, lots of courtroom drama there. He's uh, filing for bankruptcy because Anglo uh, had loaned him a lot of money. He'd used this to buy shares. The shares had plummeted in value and so on. Uh, so he was being chased for that money. People were looking for someone to blame, I suppose, for the, uh, the economic crash. And, uh, and Anglo was in the crosshairs and David Drum in particular. It's Charlie Bird from RTE. So he, why are you ducking down? I want to talk to you. Well, can I talk to you outside? Have a bit of respect, will you? I've got my family here in the house, Charlie. There are taxpayers at home in Ireland who would like to, some answers. Did you see the sign at the gate? I'm, there's some taxpayers. Okay, thank you very much. And uh, he was eventually extradited back to Ireland where he did face those charges. Um, and it was, you know, Extraordinary, the numbers, you know, you're dealing with in that trial, you know, um, a conspiracy to make Anglo's uh, deposits appear 7.2 billion larger than they actually were, basically giving a false impression as to the strength of the bank, you know, while all this drama was going on in, in 2008 and, uh, and banks were closing left, right and centre. And in relation to both counts, a conspiracy to defraud and false accounting, Mr Drum was found guilty in a unanimous verdict. The jury took 10 and a half hours, 10 hours and 32 minutes. And so here we have a case concerning David's sister-in-law, Rachel Drum, and a house that's based in Skerries in North County, Dublin. And this lady, Rachel, um, told the court that she had... Um, she owned this house with her husband, Ken, who is the brother of David. But David was also involved in the loan as well, Shane? Yeah, it, it's, 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 it's a curious aspect of this case. So um, Rachel uh, was married to Ken Drum, um, who died uh, in England uh, in October of last year. Uh, now, um, 
I suppose they, they got married in 1998, but there were unhappy differences in the marriage and they ended up separating in uh, in 2011. And I suppose part of the, uh, the background to this, as outlined in, in affidavits filed in court by Rachel Drum, was that she said Ken Drum controlled all of the finances in the house. And uh, she said he did this to... Um, an extent where you know, uh, you know, she she had been under duress to sign documents that her husband put in front of her, and that uh, he would uh, you know be aggressive and angry with her if she ever if she ever asked questions about the family finances. So that was all by her account. That was all dealt with by him. And a curious aspect of all of this is that David Drum's name appears on the mortgage, and this was something she didn't know, and. Uh, this this all came out in court. Um, there were uh, exhibits filed in court, internal EBS documentation, which indicated that David Drum had basically offered to act as a guarantor on the mortgage. And there was references in it to previous mortgage arrears and a failed pub venture. Now, these can only relate to Ken Drum, I think, because um, he had been involved in, in, a, in a pub franchise uh, in the, uh, the 1990s. So what appears to have happened, uh, although it's not clearly stated, is that Ken Drum needed his brother to stick his name on the mortgage documents so that he could uh, you know, get the mortgage on this house uh, in Skerries. So you have this picture painted as well in the case of um, uh, Rachel Drum basically saying, look, my debts here, these debts, they're not my debts. This is not a problem of uh, of my making. And she went into uh, uh, considerable detail uh, in relation to uh, how she believed her husband had acted and how these debts had been run up. And the repossession order dates back to 2013, Shane. That's correct, yeah. So um, the uh, EBS had the loan and they took repossession proceedings back then. And uh, I suppose it's been kind of a long hiatus uh, since uh, the, the repossession order was actually granted in 2015. And uh, the loan subsequently passed to to Mars Capital, one of these, these funds that has been buying up bad loans. And uh, the, the actual procedure of executing the repossession that only took place quite recently. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's, I suppose, this whole prospect of repossession has been hanging over her uh, for so long. What's uh, also interesting about this case as well, I suppose, is, is it does, you know, leaving aside the personalities, it does shine a light on the impact on people whose properties are being re- repossessed in the teeth of a uh, an accommodation crisis. So you have this mother who says, look, these debts aren't really mine. I'm you know, been forced out here through no fault of my own. And she's got four children and they are, you know, uh, in education or, or working locally. One of them, uh, one of her daughters is an international footballer, obviously great sporting promise. And, um, you know, so she's basically saying, look, we, uh, we've we looked around. There's nowhere, there's actually nowhere we could actually rent. There's nowhere available. Um, uh, in in the area, and look, that tallies with you know all the stories you've been reading about you know people who are say for example um, uh, with the eviction ban being lifted, um, you know those people having to leave houses for through no fault of their own, uh, and they're worried 
and they, they can't get anywhere to live. So she described this as a, a scary prospect, you know, that, that basically homelessness loomed. So the judge, the judge has actually given her six months uh, to, uh, uh, to find uh, alternative accommodation. So look, no doubt will be updated in court. Uh, as time goes on, as, as 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 to what goes on there, but there uh, there could be uh, another element. To, there could be a way out from under this too, and that's through the personal insolvency legislation. Can you perhaps just give us an explainer as to how that works and whether uh, Rachel is likely to be able to avail of something like this at this point? Um, yeah, I, I think it's a case of never say never with these things. The um, um, uh, the, the debts on the house, the court heard, were about two million, and the house itself is worth six hundred thousand. And there's a million euro in mortgage arrears, so it's bananas money when you think it really about is, it. Really is, yeah. Um, but the court heard that um, there had been uh, some discussions between the parties, and uh, I know myself from uh, other uh, court venues that uh, Mars Capital Capital has been. The, the sort of fund that w- does cut deals. And, and in a lot of these cases, it's a case of securing a lump sum from the uh, the debtor um, and uh, making it a situation where they end up getting more than they would if that person was forced into bankruptcy. So there is a, a particular arrangement that could be sought um, if Rachel Drum is found to be suitable. It's called a personal insolvency arrangement. This is used to deal with people who are in, uh, you know, who cannot deal with their debts and who have a principal private residence. And what you find in, in these cases is that uh, a lot of people are able to negotiate some sort of deal which allows them to hold on to their property, usually with a, a new mortgage or uh, maybe an extended term or whatever. There's usually a lump sum paid to uh, secured creditors and a deal is cut where the vast majority of the debt is written off. Um, so uh, she had, she she did say in an affidavit that she was uh, going to be meeting with a personal uh, insolvency practitioner. So we'll have to see, wait and see uh, what happens there. And um, I, I think, you know, there, there would be, uh, given the account that she's given, there would be a degree of sympathy for her. Because she has told the court how she was making payments on the mortgage herself. And this is after she had separated with her husband, Ken. And then she was eventually locked out of the account, um, stifling her ability to repay. Right? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's an extraordinary kind of uh, tale. And and I suppose it, it's, it's maybe it's, it's, it's just something that happens when couples break up and are, are, are separated and, and don't see eye to eye. Um, uh, she, she painted this picture of, of Ken Drum as, as, as a um, you know, person who exercised a domineering influence over her and didn't let her deal with the family finances, right? So uh, we have this account and uh, from her and she said that he used his brother David Drum's position as chief executive of Anglo-Irish Bank to recklessly obtain loans or remortgages uh, on our home. So that's not a suggestion that David Drum was giving him his brother loans willy-nilly from Anglo. It's more a suggestion that uh, Ken Drum was using the name of David Drum to secure this finance from other institutions. 
and she made reference, to, for example, to one loan of 520,000 euros against the property, uh, which she claimed was obtained without her knowledge or consent. So you have these accusations about, you know, documents uh, that she was forced to sign. She says under duress. She claims that um, there were uh, uh, her signature was forged on occasion, and. Um, that it was only after uh, the marriage uh, broke up and they separated that she kind of began to peel away the layers and discovered that their um, uh, finances were, to use her words, completely in, in disarray. Um, and we heard, uh, or the court was told via you know various affidavits and whatever, about the background with Ken Drum, he was uh, someone who uh, held himself out, self out there as an entrepreneur, someone who had, uh, you know, contacts in the world of finance. Uh, his wife says, look, that this was because of his connection with David Drum. He he worked, uh, Ken Drum worked with uh, an Austra Austrian uh, company that uh, they uh, sold prefabricated uh, houses. And um, uh, he then went on to set up a business in Ireland, uh, where which involved timber frame house uh, construction, and that seemed to be quite successful for a while, um, um, for a number of years, to the extent where you know he was indicating to his wife that he was earning around two hundred and fifty thousand a year. She says that then he began to kind of overextend them. They became under financial pressure in two thousand and seven when he wanted to build an extension to the house, and. Uh, Ken Drone's business then went into liquidation in 2008. So around that time, she said that he was desperate for work and contracts and that he was ringing property developers like Paddy Kelly and Bernard McNamara looking for work. And that they, she says, they, they only took his calls because he was David Drone's brother. No work ever transpired out of it. He moves to the UK. Rachel Drum says that there's a lot of ins and outs here, but at, at one particular point or at one particular period, she's paying... 600 euros a month into an EBS account towards the mortgage and she says she assumes that he's paying the remainder but she doesn't know because she's been locked out of the account and um, and you know she only kind of discovers later that well actually no he wasn't paying his end of the mortgage. But of course Shane there are two sides to every story right? So before Kendrum passed away did we hear from him at all? Yeah, so um, before he passed away, he he would have filed an affidavit responding to a lot of his wife's allegations and, and he strenuously denied exercising a domineering influence over her. He also claimed that references she made to his brother were an attempt by her to court controversy, to embarrass him and to disparage him. In particular, he said that the suggestion that any business or financial, a financial relationship that he had during his career had anything to do with his brother's uh, appointment as Anglo chief executive. Uh, he said that that was fanciful in the extreme. He, he basically said that, you know, her account was, 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 was not a true account. And so, Shane, finally, in relation to David Drum and him being guarantor on this loan, are we likely to hear from him at all or hear more details about his involvement? Or does the fact that he went bankrupt mean that being guarantor of this particular loan um, means nothing? I think there are questions there regarding whether or not he can actually be dragged into this now himself. Given those circumstances, Rachel Drum said herself in an affidavit that she needed to understand how David Drum's bankruptcy affected the mortgage debt. 
So it's all it's all very unclear, Siobhan. Just, you know, whether or not David Drum actually comes into this now at this point or if he's uh, uh, not really on the scene at all anymore as regards this property. If a debt deal is formulated, then there would have to be, uh, it would have to be pushed to the creditors to see whether they would accept that or not. And then there are, if it doesn't get accepted, there are circumstances in which that can be appealed then in the courts. So there might be a good bit to run in this, but it will depend on whether or not uh, a personal dishonesty practitioner determines that, that, yeah, there is a viable uh, solution, there is a way out of this. Um, If there isn't, then it's a pretty bleak uh, situation for, uh, for her and her family. And my thanks to Shane Phelan, legal editor at the Irish Independent. I'm Siobhan McGuire and today's episode was produced by myself, researched by Sorsha Mulgrew with sound by Gavin Hennessy. Archive clips from RTE and independent.ie. If you enjoy the Indo Daily, don't forget to like, follow and leave us a review. Thank you.